Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jim Romolini. And for various reasons, we both might be bringing you bad sound today. So apologies for that. There's a little construction going on next door for me. And my husband at some point is going to blend his, I can't even talk about his coffee in the morning, but at some point he's going to blend it in the world's loudest blender because (laughs) we, there's like butter in it. I I don't want to talk about it. Uh, It's very California, but we, um, we are recording really early for me. It's like 8.30 here. We had a whole kerfuffle this week about recording. And so it's an, it's an early morning. Everything is fine. Hello. <laughs> it's an early morning. I want to ask how your thousand words of summer are going. My thousand words of summer were going okay. And then I realized about nine, 8,000 words in that I was using the thousand words of summer as a way to avoid some other things I had to deal with because I was just, sometimes you know how you productively procrastinate. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of put it down and then I felt like a failure for a minute. And then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just pick this up later. So that's how it's, that's how it's going. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's not, (laughs) it's not. I actually wrote some fiction words this week. Amazing. Yeah. And you know what the hardest part of, of, of like fiction is? Tell me. Because this is like, you know, based on reality. Coming up with different names for like institutions and people is really hard. Yeah. 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 I had to, um, I had to come up with different names for real people in my memoir and, um, my memoir sounds like such an asshole. (laughs) Um, but And it was hard because 
you obviously know who this person is and it's hard to think of them as a different name. Right. But I find that I found that when I was working on the 7,000 words or even when I was working on the, the other book, that it did give me some distance from the person having mm-hmm, them have mm-hmm. a different name. That makes sense. I write about my ex-husband um, in my first husband in my book and I renamed him and changed, you know, identifying characteristics about him. And it was much easier to write about him with him having a different name. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. But yes, it is hard. Names are hard. Titles are hard. Like all of that stuff that we think is so easy is actually hard. It's really actually very hard. It it takes skill. Now, there's something else I want to discuss with you that's been really on my mind. Go. I think I need a makeover. Okay. Okay. I think I need just like an old fashioned makeover. Not so much for like the beauty stuff, although I could certainly use some help, but like for how I dress. Okay. I do not feel, I know we talk about this sometimes. I do not know how to dress right now. I've talked a bit about gaining weight and I'm working on not gaining any more weight and maybe losing some, but that can be very hard this stage in life. I was actually reading something that said the average weight for women ages 40 through 59 is higher than the average weight for women directly younger than that and directly older than that. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's super interesting. And so I've been like, okay, this is, you know, this is what I'm really just trying to be like, I'm going to work on losing some weight or at least getting in better shape. And at the same time, I'm really trying to accept the body I have because it's because, you know, you hear women talk all the time about how there's nothing you can do about it at this stage in life. Um, and it's really hard, but I feel like I don't know how to dress anymore. Like I'm just wearing baggy clothes to kind of hide the body that I don't like right now. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. I really feel like an old fashioned magazine makeover would be just the thing for me. Well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure we have the resources to get that for you, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Well, just going back to the losing weight, I feel like. We have to detach weight from fitness. Mm-hmm. It's because first off, the, the bullshit of like, well, we'll just exercise it away. It doesn't. It doesn't work. I mean, we've it talked about this. That it does, that's not the way your body works. And then you get into some. You can quickly. It's a slippery slope. We talked about this week. Into you know unhealthy eating patterns, you mm-hmm. know, sort of like just it, it can get so obsessive. It's so dangerous, and so being in shape, I think this idea of like I would like to get into some shape in my body, whatever size it is, mm-hmm. and also wear clothes that I feel good in this body, that I feel like I look good in this body, not like waiting for like some dream, like fantasy. You know how you have those like fantasy pants in life, you know? Yeah. Well, I I have in my closet clothes that are sizes eight, even some that are size 10 that I just don't fit into and some size sixes still. And I really wonder like, what's the point of hanging on to a dress that is in a size that I, I don't think that I if I remain in good health, am ever going to fit in again? Yeah. You know, like, what's the point of that? Um, I want to, you know, I hate the way I look in photographs and I just want to like be comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, um, but I really feel like I don't know how to dress like, and I went looking because I'm, 
I'm of a size, like I'm not extended sizes. I'm not plus size. Right. And yet I'm beginning to not fit in the clothes of some of the designers that I like. They, they go up to 10 and that's yeah. it. Oh yeah. And that is a thing that's called midsize. I didn't know that. Okay. Eight, sizes 10 to 16, I think are, you're, you're referred to as midsize. Oh, get the fuck out of here. I know. Whatever, whatever. When I Googled it, like I Googled like women size 12 over 40 and there was nothing. There are a lot of like really cute influencers who were in their twenties yeah. and maybe thirties who were bigger and, and show pictures of themselves or who at least aren't super skinny. Yeah. Um, but, but none, I didn't find any. So I'm thinking about people I know in real life and paying attention to how they dress. I think that it is also getting comfortable with a different aesthetic too. Mm-hmm. It's just like who, like, well, first off the pictures thing, that's just getting older. Like that's just not feeling like you look good in pictures. Like I am developing, I developed in the last couple of weeks, just out of nowhere. I have eye bags now and really like creasy under the eyes. And I'm really starting to, my neck's really starting to like get weird. And you could see it in some photos if I'm positioned weird, that it's just very scrotal looking. Mm. (laughs) It is. it is. It just is. And like, I've been feeling like not necessarily a weight thing, but just an old, like an older face thing. And just kind of like, oh God, I don't want to have my, I don't want to have my picture taken off guard because I feel like when I'm just in the back, you know, in the back with like, you know, it's just, it just looks, I don't look the way I used to look. And, but I do think it's coming to acceptance of where you're at, whether it's in your, you know, scrotal neck or in your body. I just think there's, there's nothing, nothing else we can do. There's not, I mean, we, there are things we can do, but you know, those are big things. Those are big things. But it's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming is the thing. Yeah. And it has to not feel like an assault every single time. It has to just feel like the waves of the ocean. Yeah, it has to, we have to approach it with some ease, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too far away from what I think is the really interesting part of this conversation, at least to me is how are we going to get you a makeover and what kinds of of clothes are you thinking about? Like, what do you think you want to wear? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. That's why I feel, I feel really mystified. Yeah. About what's going to, what's going to flatter my body. I've never had to dress for a body that looks like this. Right. Right. Um, and that has like, you know, I've got this big old stomach, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a little, I used to gain, when I was younger, I would gain weight and it would always somehow miraculously be proportional. Yes. But now it, but that changes menopause. You get a big, you know, you often get a big belly. It's bloat and other stuff. And the menopot people, the menopot. Yes. Disgusting. Wanda Sykes has a whole riff about it. Like she has a whole name for her stomach and like a whole, it's a whole thing. Cause it's a whole fucking thing. It happens. The whole thing. Like I haven't, <laughs> I'm not going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I have not been able to be standing buck naked. Yes. And see my vagina. Okay. All in right. quite a while. I mean, I can see my vagina other ways, but like, I can't look down and see it because my stomach is so big. Standing up or sitting down? Standing up. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Cause I, I, don't know. <laughs> I love that you're trying it. <laughs> I, just, I just feel like I don't look at my 
vagina when I'm standing up, except in the mirror. I'm like, oh, there's my vagina. I know. I know. I, it's vulva. It's vulva. Vulva. <laughs> it's the vulva. <laughs> that reminds me of a really funny story I'm going to tell you. Tell me, please. About my great aunt Anita, mm-hmm. who was like a really, she really had a life. She had lovers. Mm-hmm. You know, she had affairs. She traveled. She was really great and um, and beautiful. And when she was in the hospital dying, her nurse was giving her a sponge bath. Maybe I've told this story before. On the I don't remember podcast. this. I don't- her nurse was giving her a sponge bath and she got to between her legs. And mm-hmm. my aunt did not like it and looked at her and said, you're too pussy conscious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I, I was, we were talking about vaginas. No, I remember my, I remember my grandmother my grandmother who didn't hold back on a lot and who shaved her mustache every day, which, you know, mm-hmm. with it, with like a straight blade razor, Italian grandmother. And when wow. she would kiss me, she would say, can you feel, can you feel my mustache? Is it growing in? And I would be like, no, grandma, it's fine. Like this is weird. <laughs> but she had no problem just talking about things. And she talked about what happens to your pubic hair to me when I was a teenager. And I was so horrified. She was like, listen, first it turns gray and then it falls out. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to fucking know this. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Sometimes I worry that I'm too fixated on all the changes because I'm aware that it's just going to be a whole other thing down the road that I just shouldn't even think about it. Sometimes I worry, like I look in the mirror every day and I like pull up the sides of my face, you know, to see what my neck would look like differently. And I kind of like poke at my under eyes and, and I just am like, what the fuck? Like I have to get right with this because I think about it all the time and I'm sick of thinking about it. I, I, I understand that. And I understand getting right with that, but I sort of feel like it's a, it's a, it's a question of how right you can get. Yeah. You know, and remembering that getting a hundred percent right with it is, 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 you know, I loved when, um, Rebecca Sofer said, um, like closure is bullshit. Like she was talking about something else, but closure on that may, you know, there's always going to, it's cruel. Age is cruel. Age is cruel in, in many ways. And in many ways, age is great. And yeah. I'm, I wouldn't rather be any age than I am right now, even though I'm two years from 60, which just blows my mind. I look, it blows my mind too. It blows my mind that you're that close. And it blows my mind that I'm going to be 50. It really blows. It blows my mind. I can't believe it. But more, I just am, I get into a terror and it's really about the outside world, which is what all of this shit has always been about, about how you're perceived. It's not really about me because I feel okay. Mm -hmm. It's about, oh my God, if I walk into this meeting, is everybody going to think I'm old? Oh my God. Like it's that kind of a thing. Well, I think that's probably a little compulsive. Yes, probably, 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 too, a little. probably too. Yes. Probably a little compulsive and probably no, nobody's even paying attention. Being able, <laughs> I mean, I do think that's true. A lot of the time, nobody's considering us as much as we're considering ourselves. Oh, for sure. For Except sure. Except at Condé Nast when everybody was 100% evaluating you all the time. Yeah, that really did validate a lot of insecurities. It really just <laughs> like you couldn't be like, oh, maybe that's in my head. You're like, no, this is not in my head. This is how these people are. No, no, there's no mistaking that the sort of like look down at the shoes and then up at the outfit. 
Oh God, yes, you're you're right. This gets me into a thing I've been thinking about, which is having a critical eye toward things. Well, first off, I feel like I'm Andy Rooney lately. I've told <laughs> you that I've been cranky, but I've also been like specifically cranky, like that's not the way that I think that should be done. You know, just mm-hmm. like just stupid shit, you know. But evaluating work, creative work critically increasingly feels mean to me, but at the same time, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm actually don't know what I'm saying here. I I, I feel like I don't want to be a critic anymore, but I'm very disappointed when something is bad. And I, I don't know if that's because I can't tolerate other people's work being bad. I don't know what it is. Anyway, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I've just been thinking about how bad I feel when I hate something. Well, you know, the thing I always saw, because people hate critics, you know, people are, critics get a really bad rap, I think, because what critics are, or good critics are, are fans. Right. You know, so who's going to be more disappointed when something isn't as good as it could be than a really, you know, true fan? Right, right. And just like figuring out how to give critical feedback, I just feel like it's it's hard, it's really hard to do well and I don't know. It's something I'm really caught up in right now because I'm really trying to figure out because I want to be more generous as I get older. I feel like a lot of that knee-jerk criticism is a part Mm -hmm. of it is a nature of um, your own insecurity. You know, when Mm -hmm. you're younger, you're just like, ah, I'm not like that. You're it's always comparing, right? And it's comparing yourself in 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 positive ways, nay, whatever. And as I'm getting older, I'm trying to figure out what my critical eye is and how I remain critical in a healthy way and not critical in a negative way, if that makes sense. Yeah. No. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I think it's like, it's a, certainly when people are asking for your input, it's, it's, it's better to come at it with a big heart. Yes. Yeah. I really think. But even when like everybody in the world's recommending a book and you read it and you're like, what? Like, what the fuck is this book? This isn't a good book. And then you're just like, wait, do, are the people I know, like, what, who are, are we all the same? Like, (laughs) it's just, it's a, you know, personal taste, blah, 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 blah. I have a friend who says there's no, there's no bad books. There's only books I don't like. Uh, I I don't know. I don't think you have to go that far. Yeah. Because there are bad books. Yeah, there are. There are bad books. Um, anyway, that's what I've been thinking. What else have you been thinking about? Well, um, I'm having a medical procedure mm-hmm. next week. Yes. It's minor. I am assured that it is minor and routine and that everything will go fine. But they're going to put me out. Okay. I thought I was just going to have twilight sleep, but it turns out they put you out. Okay. And they intubate me. Okay. And that just sounds like a drag. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I'm just like, and I'm nervous about it. I'm nervous about like being put out. Yeah. I, I can, I can empathize with that. I'm sorry. It is scary. I had vocal cord surgery a couple of years ago. Yeah. I remember that. Um, and I was for, and I've had other procedures. You know, I've had colonoscopies where they put you out and, you know, whatever. I've had a million, I've had not a million procedures, but many minor procedures in my life. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, there was something about the fact that my jaw was going to be, that I was going to be open and they were going down my throat. 
and also the risk of, you know, vocal cord paralysis. And I had to sign Mm -hmm. all these things. I would never be able to talk about again. I had a major panic attack before I got the anesthesia because of all this. And also I had watched, I had just watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy and Mm -hmm. I was really like, I was just thinking of all the things that could go wrong. Die on the table. Die on the table. I just was freaking the fuck out. And you know, then it was absolutely fine. I was in good hands. And, and to be honest, I find the sensation of being put out kind of interesting. Like it's like, Hmm. it's just like this magical sleep. You're just put to sleep for a little while and then you wake up and you're like, oh, that was weird. Yeah. I mean, that's what's going to happen. I mean, you know, Yeah. I know it's still scary, but it's still scary and it's invasive feeling. It is invasive feeling. I mean, I'm glad I'm doing it. I think I'll feel better after it's done, but it's nothing major, listeners, I promise. Yeah, no, I think you will feel better after it's done, and you'll be glad that it's the fuck over with. Yeah, I will. And like sometimes we just put these things off, like that vocal cord surgery. I had to go on voice rest. I couldn't say a word for two full weeks. I remember that. I remember <laughs> my whiteboard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I just kept putting it off and kept putting it off and the situation kept getting worse. And I kept, you know, my vocal cords were bleeding and it was just, it was, it was getting worse and worse because I didn't want to have to go through. I was delaying the inevitable of having to go through the situation. So you're going to be so happy when it's over is the truth. I know it's scary leading up. And it's funny that those fears, those like little kid kind of fears don't ever really go away, no matter how old you are. Like, ah, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. And I, I just, it makes me feel vulnerable. And I feel vulnerable anyway lately because of the world. Yeah. You yeah. know, the world is in such an unsafe feeling moment. Yeah, it is. I feel a little fragile as well and really sensitive. I don't know. I feel hyper, hyper sensitive lately Hmm. Um, in a way that is not always healthy in your relationships because you get defensive or you think, ah, did that person say that? Because of the, you know, you just sort of, you get kind of strange and and, and not totally uh, stabilized. But I've been feeling that I've been feeling that as well, vulnerable, sensitive, unsafe. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's because every time I look at any kind of news, it's all bad. Yeah. Like from, it's like all bad. It's like from guns to abortion to Kim Kardashian ruining that Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe's dress. Yes. What the fuck? What? what was, what were they thinking? I mean, they, it was the, the dress was a, a Ripley's believe it or not museum in Orlando. They probably paid a fortune for it and they thought it would be good publicity, but it, it, to, to have her wear it, but it, any idiot would tell you that was a crazy idea. It was, uh, Oh, it was so the hubris that was involved in wearing that dress. And then the, you know, the interesting thing is she only wore it. The dress is all ripped up. She only wore it on the red carpet. Then she wore a replica for the the night. So why, why not just wear the replica? Why this whole publicity stunt? It's so embarrassing. It didn't fit her. I've seen the video. I've seen the TikTok. It didn't fit her. (laughs) Don't wear the goddamn dress. No, it, it, it is hubris. It is hubris and in- incredible ego and wrong sizing. 
wrong sizing and just like, oh, just gross. And that's what I feel kind of, that's why I'm saying I feel like Andy Rooney. I'm just like, oh, everything's gross. You know, know. even my Instagram feed, they're pushing reels so much. They're just- I know it's so annoying. It's so annoying. I don't want these reels. I don't want people pointing at words and telling me things. I just want to look at pictures. Well, Instagram gave me an opportunity. They were like, please take a moment to share your opinions about Instagram with us. And I was like, I certainly will take this moment. (laughs) And every question, every question was about reels and liking them. And I was like, reels are horrible. They've ruined Instagram. However, I will tell you, I have a new fascination because of the reels that show up on my feed. Tell me. Van life. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No desire to do it myself, but I I am fascinated by the videos in which they show how they live in their vans. Did you read, I forget who it was. It might've been Katie Weaver in the New York times magazine. She tried van life and there was like, it's so suffocating in the van. It's mm-hmm. just so claustrophobic in that bed in the van. And she just, at one point in the middle of the night, she was with a friend and she just was like, we need to get out of here. I don't think there's enough <laughs> oxygen in this van. <laughs> That's know? hilarious. It like smells in the van. I'm sure. And everybody and all the van life people, they're mostly in their 20s, have pets, Ugh. like cats, which in a space that small. As, as, a, as a woman who works in an office right next to a litter box, I will tell <laughs> you, and there is, and these are high ceilings in this room, and there is a ceiling fan, and, and I can open a door and a window. I can't imagine sharing a van with a cat. No. Me neither. I'd sooner a dog, but that's just my preference anyway. But I have been, my preference is actually cats. And I do love my dumb cats who are lying right behind me. Um, (laughs) But um, I, I, um, I have been thinking that in order to keep playing the social media game, I need to figure out TikTok and reels and I need to just sort it out or I should just give up. That's how I'm, that's how I've been feeling. I know. I know. Well, I think that if enough people respond to that Instagram user survey the way I did, they're going to take the reels away. I was really hopeful. Maybe someone will hear me. But I know what you mean. I feel like I feel the same way. I mean, I I, I never gross. I never post Instagram posts anymore. I only do stories because I feel like the posts never get seen anymore. No, it's ten percent. It's ten percent of you only have access to 10% of your followers at any time. That's how much they release unless you're doing reels and then they will let you, they will, the algorithm will allow your content to be seen by more people. This is how people are growing their channels. I mean, I consult, I consult other companies on how to do, you know, I, I'm a, I'm still a digital consultant. I've been consulting companies on how to like improve their performance on social media. I know how it works. I just don't want to do it. Well, maybe we should do some. Oh, we should because then everything is fine would grow, but it's like, it's all straight to camera. It's all about, we're just talking about not liking the way we look in pictures. It's like- I know, I know, I know. I mean, we should do reels. We should. I mean, I don't know. Listeners, do you want reels from us? Like, <laughs> we have a TikTok channel. Hi. Everything's fine. <laughs> Fuck off. I don't know. That's hilarious. Let's take a quick break from some ads. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. Hey, should we, um, should we answer some questions? Yes, let's answer some questions. All right, we have some really good questions today, Kim France. Thank you for asking. I thought it was a good idea to ask our, our listeners some questions. Should I, should I ask some of them of us? You should ask some of them of us. <laughs> okay. I'm just going down the line here. Go ahead. Um, okay. Good morning. Why did you choose Everything is Fine as the name of your podcast? Um, Tally Abacassis came up with Everything is Fine. It was on a long list of other names. And I was like, ooh, Everything is Fine. That's perfect. She was like, really? And I was like, no, it's perfect. And I do think it's perfect. So it, because everything is fine and because everything sucks at the same time, it just sort of works. 
I think it's perfect too. And I saw the name before I was on the podcast. I thought this is, um, this is the perfect name for this stage of life. And it's like, it's nice because it's not like midlife madness. It's just, <laughs> it, it doesn't actually directly talk about it. it. It gets at the essence of the feeling of this time of life without mm-hmm. explicitly being like, we're middle-aged, you know? <laughs> no, it's true. Um, okay. Here's another one that mostly I'm going to answer and then we'll get to some other ones. Is that okay? Yeah. I, don't, I, don't I, I think this next one you're not going to have. Oh no, this on. is all you. Okay. As a 49 year old single Gen X or thoughts on dating apps post pandemic, would it be wrong to lie about age? I don't think it's wrong to lie about age because I've met many men online who lied about their age too. Um, on Tinder, however, when I lied about my age online, which I did do on one of the apps, if somebody matched with me, I immediately told them my age. Okay. So you didn't, you didn't let the, uh, the lie keep going. I didn't let the lie keep going, which is different than some of the men I've dated who were, I was, I was on a vacation with a man in Panama when I caught him in a lie about his age. Like we'd been dating a while and he lied. What, what did he pretend to be? He was 68. (gasps) (laughs) He was old. He was old. He was 68. I was, you know, probably 50 then. Okay. Um, And he said he was 62. Okay. So not, not, but he, but yeah, I remember he told me that he saw the doors in concert and I was like, my little brain calculator was going boop, boop, beep, 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 beep. (laughs) Not sure that could happen. Right, right, right. Um. I think that, you know, on, on Tinder, they give you the option of not putting your age at all. And that's what I preferred because then, you know, people are matching with you or they're not, but right. it doesn't have to do with an age thing. And, you know, I'll say what I always will about the um, apps, which is that they can be toxic and they can be difficult. And I definitely survive them by taking breaks, but they're also pretty much the only game in town. Not the only game in town, but the, the, the most, you know, the one that works the most Yeah, at this stage in life. So it's, you know, my advice is take breaks when it gets to be too much. I also like um, this suggestion we had on the podcast about date zero, where you meet somebody. I think this was on the podcast, maybe not. Date zero, where you go on a date, but it's, your, it's, bef- it's like a pre-first date. So you meet for half an hour for coffee. And based on that, determine whether or not to go out again. Okay. I mean, I think that's a good, I have no idea. I, as discussed, <laughs> the last, last internet date I went on or last dating app was nerve.com in like Amazing. 2003 or something. Amazing. Um, I was literally sending people pictures that I had taken and sending them to them through the mail. Amazing. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's my, my experience of that. Um, uh, it seems like so much fun, but I know that it's not. <laughs> I mean, I've, I mean, I'm happy to be in the committed relationship I'm in now, but there is something fun about making out with someone new. Yeah. Well, also like ordering sex, like pizza. That's what I really want. Yeah. I mean, just, but not, not long-term just, you know, a couple of times, but then, you know, the thing is all of these things in fantasy are not as good as reality because then the sex could be awkward and not good. And most men are not that great and you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, as somebody who ordered sex like pizza, those, those experiences get, you know, they can be exhilarating and also incredibly depressing. Yes. Yes. I agree. Um, okay. okay. Jen Romolini, what time do you go to bed and wake up and has it changed over the years? Ugh. Um, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in a, like, I guess in a healthy, I always get up around six between six and seven, usually at like six ten is when my alarm is set for, for school and kid reasons. Um, I usually get up around six. I try to go to bed in the tens, but I'm often just fucking around on my phone. I've been pretty diligent about a skincare regimen, which takes like, you know, a while at night (laughs) to do something with your skin. I mean, it's like 10 minutes, but it feels like it's taking forever. So I've been not getting enough sleep lately. And I've also been having a lot of very severe hot flashes in the middle of the night. Um, Mm. So nothing's been helping my sleep, but the answer, the the short answer to that question is I try to go to bed in the tens and I wake up at six and it's changed a lot because I used to be one of those people who went to bed at two and couldn't get to work by 10. Right. You know, rolled into work at 1030 and just like reeking of booze. (laughs) That's funny. Well, I, I'm I'm boring. I go to bed around eleven thirty. I wake up at seven seven thirty, and it has changed. I I am incapable of falling back to sleep after a certain hour. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, say you wake up at three, that's it. You're Th- awake. No, three. I can get back to sleep usually. Okay. Okay. If I wake up around like reasonable, like you know five thirty or six, I'm up. Like I can't get back to sleep. I took a nap yesterday. Wow. I, just, I couldn't even believe it. I just all of a sudden felt so exhausted. And I just, I laid down on the couch and I was like, okay, fine. I guess we're having a nap. I took like a 20 minute nap. I was just, I'm, I, I'm tired a lot, I think in the afternoon because my sleep is so disrupted now. So it's just, you know. If, so, you know, just keep the nap brief and that's fine. Yeah. I mean, Sometimes I just, I mean, I have no idea what it would be like if I didn't have a kid because some, a lot of my schedule is dictated around, you know, child, getting child off to camp, getting child off to school needs. You know, how do I, how much time do I need to make breakfast and lunch for everybody? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. I, I have fantasies of like vacations where I sleep until 10, but I would feel weird, I think, sleeping that late at this age. Yeah. I get that. You know? I get that. It feels a little adolescent. Do you know what I did yesterday that I never do? No, but tell me. I cried. Why? Because <laughs> the um, Golden Gate Warriors beat the Boston Celtics for the in the NBA Finals. Okay. And they like, and Stephen Curry, who's one of my favorite basketball players. Not, not where players. I expected this to be going. <laughs> Stephen Curry like got was MVP and like he's you know everybody's interviewing after the show and then his girl his wife comes up and he's like hey girl and gives her a big hug and I was like that's so beautiful he loves his wife I mean I feel like you need to like turn in your Pisces card because you do not cry enough (laughs) (laughs) it's so true I'm sure it's because of you know my depression meds I'm sure that something like you know I just I don't cry as easily 
I you cry know. every, I cry almost every day. No, something. you're a cry baby. I'm a cry baby. But you know, I'm just an extreme emotion person. I'm also like a rageaholic. Like I'm both things. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even in any fucking way. Okay. So we answered the sleep question, I think to both of our satisfaction. Um, yep. Okay. Next question. Have either of you, have either of you experience of hormone replacement therapy for perimenopause symptoms? That yes, I do. I am on bioidentical estrogen and progesterone. It's like estradiol or something. I pronounce all words wrong, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, it it's really hard to treat perimenopause symptoms with hormone replacement therapy because your hormones are in such flux. So I go in every three months to get my hormone levels taken and we try to adapt how much hormone replacement therapy I have to meet where my hormone levels are. And it is a science experiment that I have not really resolved yet. Like I have just upped my, both of my estrogen and progesterone and my hot flashes are worse than they've ever been. Mm. So, but my stomach is finally stable because yeah. you lose stomach acid or something happens with your stomach. I'm not a doctor, but this is what I understand. Something happens with your stomach during perimenopause. And as discussed on the show many times, I'm having a very severe perimenopause. I have basically all of the 72 symptoms. So the hormones have stabilized my stomach. So I'm able to eat everything again, which is fantastic, but they haven't resolved the hot flashes. So mm -hmm. now I'm trying, um, I don't know, black coash. I don't know. It's a herb. Could be know. that the hot flashes would be even worse if you're not, if you weren't taking this though. It could be. I've also not quit caffeine, which right. is the thing you're supposed to do. And I've had some drinks lately. I've been drinking. <laughs> like, uh -huh. So there are things you're not supposed to do to, you know, relieve yourself of hot flashes. But I think that the, the short answer is that I think that for women who are good candidates for hormone replacement therapy, I think that it does, I think it's also stabilized my mood because I was really, really dark. And mm -hmm. once I started, started hormone replacement therapy, I have leveled out in terms of depression at least. That's great. So that's, that's my answer, but it's, it's very tricky and you need to work closely with a doctor is what I'd say. Yeah. And I have not had hormone replacement therapy because cancer. Right. And you don't have to have like a medical doctor. You can have a naturopath. You can have a, you know, healthcare provider. Let's say that because I want to make sure that it's very inclusive of all healthcare providers. Okay. Um, what do you want to, what do you want to answer next? <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul wrote a question. Okay. Um, but I actually think it's a good question. Okay. I find that the state farm commercials where people become their parents are, are hitting particularly close to home as I'm about to turn 50. In what ways do you find yourself becoming your parents slash grandparents slash elders in general? Oh, I mean, I just talked about becoming Andy Rooney. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I think my mother can't stand the idea that she's anything like her mother, which she is. Yeah. And I can't stand the, I mean, there are lots of good ways I could be like my mother, but I don't feel like I'm like my mother in the good ways. I feel like I'm kind of flaky and 
I think that for me, the ways in which I am like my mother that I don't like, I really try to work on, particularly as a mother myself, when I see myself behaving in ways that my mother behaved that really hurt me, I try to um, correct that behavior. So, but I mean, you see it, it, it happens. It's a good question from Paul. Like it is, it is true that you do start to become that thing. And then also the elders part of it, I can see myself, things I thought I would never do, you know, talking about young people, like really different, feeling a differentiation between me and younger generations and starting mm-hmm. to feel like an, an elder. I do. I'm starting to feel it. You know, I went to a store the other day when I was in Philly um, to try on a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And I sat down on the sofa and I was like, oh, that sofa's deep. Like it was so deep and so low. And I was just like, okay, I'm exactly that many years old today. To get back up too, to get fucking Oh my God, up. getting back. I was like planning how I was going to get back up. Do you know, I practice, I practice sitting on the ground and getting up from the ground like six <laughs> times a day because I really can't handle it. I just want to be able to get up and get down and get up and get down. I, I know. Remember, like there are kids, there are kids who play for, you know, some of the musician kids who play for Paul. And there's this one girl who will drop to her knees during a saxophone solo. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I know, I know. And everything, when I, when I do that, when I, when I bend to my knees, everything pops, my hips pops, my knees pops, my ankles pop. And I'm just like, I got to keep doing this. I got (laughs) to keep doing this so that I don't lose being able to do this. Um, No, it's a good one. It's a good one. Okay. Here's a question from your friend, Ray. Do you want to read it? Yes. What would it take to reclaim quote unquote middle aged? I mean, we have to take some of the stink out of it, the stench out of it, all the cliches about it that, you know, we're in crisis, that we're corny and pathetic. And, you know, mm-hmm. middle-aged is such like a, a, a bad smell. I mean, don't you think? It is. I mean, I think the way you reclaim, reclaim it is by living it differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't have to mean like living it like you're still young. No. You know, living it less predictably or more predictably, if that's what makes you happy. Yeah. Living with a a level of authenticity. I think the cliche of middle age, I think the cliche of middle age is that you, that you lose yourself completely, right? And that you're just seeking and you're seeking all of these things to make yourself, you know, relevant and sexual and beautiful and, you know, not old yet. And instead having some grace and ease and comfort and looking at things about it that are really actually very rewarding, like the deepening of friendships, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the real understanding of yourself, the, the way you show up better at work and relationships and letting go of the bullshit of the ego and the vanity and the fear that you're not relevant or important anymore because nobody really defines that except you. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, it's, this is an inside job. So I think, I think that you're right is by living well is how we reclaim it. And with humility, like, I feel like I'm a much more humble person than I was in the past. And in a, in, in a way that makes me a lot more pleasant to be around and to be. Yeah. You know, and humility just comes with age, I think. And a softening too. 
I feel, yeah. I feel softer than I used to. And I fight against that because I always perceived that as weak, but really that's where everything that's good about my life is happening. The best relationships are when I'm able to soften and not be like, why is that like that? The best yeah. work I'm doing is when I'm able to be open and soft. Actually, it's it's Ray that always says, um, soft front, um, strong back. Mm, that's a good one. It is a good one. So thanks for the question, Ray. Um, what else do we have? Um, oh, this one. If your life was exactly as you wanted it to be in every aspect, how would it be different than your current situation? I would live closer to my friends. I mean, I have friends in LA for sure, but I would live, I would live at least a drive away from the people who are closest to me. And those people are largely on the East coast and, you know, within a couple of hours, either in New York or a couple of hours from New York. And I feel the loss profoundly that I'm not around, you know, my longest known people. Right. Those relationships are hard to replicate. And, you know, my sister just moved back to the East Coast last weekend, and I've just been kind of devastated by it, to be honest, mm -hmm. because it's not even, it's not, it's, it is the physical proximity, but it's also the time zone. Like we mm -hmm. just experience things differently. You know, it's, it's nine 30 here. It's, it's noon 30. You're just having a different day than I'm having. And it's, that's really hard to correct for, you know? Right. So I, I think that if I could, if I could do anything, I would, I would live, live closer to my people. And I think I would, I would, obviously it's what I always say. I would have figured out a way to have a kid. Yeah. You know, even though I, I, I am at some peace with it now. Yeah. You know, I really am. I also think I could have had just one pain in the ass of a kid. That's it. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I know half of my friends complain about what a pain in the ass their kids are. No, you're you a know, pain I in mean, the ass. You would have a pain in the ass. I'm a pain in the ass. I have a pain in the ass. I th Yeah. I mean, I would have been, I, 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 I would, you know, it's like mothers always say, I hope you get one just like you. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I would have gotten a moody little fuck just like me. I got, I got a moody little argumentative, brilliant <laughs> arguer. I mean, really, I can't wait till debate club comes up for this child. <laughs> um, really difficult kid. I mean, and look, there are real benefits to having that kind of challenge and struggle because mm -hmm. I am having to sort myself out in a way that I would not have had to have sorted myself out if I didn't have this child. Right. That is not a pleasant experience in any way. It's, it's just, it's not, especially it's adolescence. It's just adult behavior. You know, it's like, it's a, it's an obstacle you reach in adulthood and, and, and not obstacle. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. And, but you know, we've talked about this before, this idea that like, oh, parenthood makes you so selfless. No, I'm a selfish fuck. Like, I know that. Well, that is something that I thought for a long time and enough people have disabused me of that notion. But I do think, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it now, but for a very long time in my life, the most important person in my life was me. Yeah. And, and maybe that's not selfishness and maybe the opposite isn't selflessness, but that, you know, I was hearing this actor, um, 
Ryan Reynolds, I think it was, mm-hmm. was talking about when Blake Lively had, when they had mm-hmm. a baby. And he said, I used to tell her, I love you so much. I can't believe how much I love you. I would do anything for you. You're the most important person in my life. And then I saw that baby and I thought I will use her body as a human shield to protect her, <laughs> to protect the baby. Yes. And, and that feeling, you know, that overwhelming feeling of like, here's the thing I want to take, I need to take care of. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I would have liked to have experienced that. I would have liked to have known that. The flip side is all the emotions are overwhelming. And I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that. And I get it. All the emotions are overwhelming. The pain is overwhelming. The, I can't imagine. The, and I can't imagine. The, and I know way, that they would can, be- the way they can hurt you. Like, yeah. it's the pain of the vulnerability of this child being in the world for sure. But your child can hurt you more than anybody else in the world. And once they start figuring it out that they can hurt you, it gets really complicated because you need to be so strong because they are just pushing boundaries and figuring out who they are. And they're mean. I mean, mine is mean. And especially if you're emotionally intense and you have an emotionally intense kid, which not everybody does. I see some friends have these like happy go lucky sons and they're just like, yeah, ma, what's up? I don't care. (laughs) And it's like the worst they have to worry about is like a broken arm. Right. And I am in like psychological warfare all, all day long, which, because I'm raising a complicated person. Right. And not everybody is complicated and that's just the way it is. But I, I have, it's the hardest, it's the hardest job. It's a service job. Like I've said before, it's a two decade long service job. And of course, of course you're going to think, oh my God, I would like to know that intensity. Like that, that is so beautiful. And like anything, it is beautiful and also rotten and fucking sucks. Yeah. I mean, I also worry because I had such, I did suffer from such deep depression that having a child could put me back there. Yeah. Um, so the, for these and other reasons, I'm at peace. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot though. I imagine, I imagine it's a lot. I mean, and I, you know, I have feelings all the time about only having one. Why didn't I have two? I would have liked, I wanted to have two. Would that have helped my first kid? Would that have helped me as a parent? You know, would I have been more balanced as a parent if I had two children, you know, not fixating on one so much? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this shit will never, we'll just never know. No. And, 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 and dwelling on it doesn't dwelling on it. And also the thing is, if you really think about it, like who would you have liked to have had a kid with two? Oh, I know nobody. I mean, I mean, I thank God that I didn't have a kid with my ex-husband. I thank God because we had very different values and and, and co-parenting a child with him would have been hell. Yes, because that's the other, I mean, if you choose, not everybody chooses to do it with a partner, but if you choose to do it with a partner, it's just the negotiation of, that nobody talks about. This isn't the stuff we talk about when we're thinking of these like fairy tales of romance, you know? Nobody talks about like, oh, one day you're going to have to decide if you bring in a behaviorist or if you don't, if this is a crisis or if it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. these kinds of things that 
are get so deep into a system of personal values that you would never know them about a partner if you hadn't had a child together. And especially if you had a difficult, a difficult child together. I believe that. And I've seen it with friends. I've seen, you know, issues come up after the child was born that were never there before. And, you know, you don't realize the way, how you're going to be, how you're going to parent like you were parented. Yes. 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 And most of that is bad. (laughs) 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 Okay. I have a good answer for this next one. Okay. What do you think was your worst financial investment? Go. Do you have one? I mean, my, yeah, you you go first. My marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, My poor pathetic marriage. Paul was asking me the other day, he was like, so how soon into your, you know, my marriage was three years, mm -hmm. just under three years. He was like, how soon into that marriage did you know that something was up, that you'd made a mistake? And I was like, six months. But like, I had to wait for it not to be totally embarrassing. Like, yes, to leave within the year would have been, you know, unthinkable. And yep. Yep. So I stuck around. What was yours? Um, I mean, uh, there's so many that I can't list them, to be honest. I am a financial (laughs) disaster. I don't understand money. I I, I just want to burn it as soon as it comes my way. I... I've just made a million, I've made a million bad financial mistakes. <laughs> Although I will say the worst one, and this is so embarrassing. Do you ever hear of a vanity scam? Do you know what a vanity scam is? Mm-mm. Okay. A vanity scam is when a scammer flatters the the scam E and it, they take a number of different forms. You know, they, they come in emails a lot. You've been chosen as, you know, mm-hmm. many, many years ago. I got a call that I had been named to the who's who. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even going to tell this story. Oh, I can't wait. The who's who of, I don't know, it was like important Americans or journalists or something. It was something mm-hmm. that was somewhat believable. Mm-hmm. I had been targeted. And it was a long, it was a long spiel about why I'd been chosen and and I had to pay $500 to get my plaque and be in this book. And somehow in the course of this conversation, I agreed to this and gave them my credit card. Amazing. And I paid $500 to be in the who's who of great Americans or something. That was my worst financial. I mean, we still have the plaque somewhere. Alex laughed about it. <laughs> Alex laughs about it all the time. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, I'm easily scammed is a real problem of mine. Oh my God. Okay. Um, do you want to answer this last one? I don't have an answer to it. Where the fuck did my sex drive go and will it ever come back even radically diminished? Um, your sex drive went away when the organs that support your sex drive got to stop doing their job. When they checked out. They- they just when they, they just out. were like, see you later, out of service. Out of service. Um, I think, you know, personally, my sex drive has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean I ha- I'm not capable of having really satisfying sex. 
And I would say in some ways I'm having, you know, reasonably, reasonably great sex right now, but I'm never in the mood. I have to work myself into the mood. You know, that's the difference is that you've got to kind of put yourself on manual. Yeah. Do what you need to do, use what you need to use to get yourself engaged in it. And then like my experience has been that once I get over that hump, so to speak, it, yeah. um, then I'm fine. And I, and I have heard stories of women who come raring back from menopause with crazy sex drives. I just think it requires a lot of lube and, and maybe porn. You know, I think that it is true that you have to really spark it up. And it's not mm -hmm. just because like, I, I, I feel like I want to have sex often, but what happens is it's also a thing of like, I'm the kind of the head of this household. So it's like, oh, we could have sex or I could fucking get these 10 things done. And right. I often choose the 10 things or I'm too in my head or, you know, but I will say Cindy Gallup has a good people. We don't talk about women in porn very often. I think Cindy Gallup has a really good um, social. It's not even porn. It's social sex website called make love, not porn. And it shows real people having sex of all ages, of all bodies. And it is really fantastic. And I am a member of that site. And I think that it's a really, it's a really good site for women trying to feel horny and not knowing where to spark that sexual yeah. instinct. Because I, I find most porn, I don't want to look at, you know, the porn that's easily accessible, I'm just not interested in. It's not for me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to look at a bunch of like, you know, whatever. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> um, but make love, not porn is good. I think that lube is really important. And I think that, um, I think cannabis lube is even the best lube you I was, can get. I was about to say there is a cannabis lube that I can't, I don't remember the name of it's upstairs. Oh, her highness. Oh, it's called her highness. Um, you can get it in Massachusetts. You can get it in California and it's like, you know, it doesn't, you know, I've recommended weed lube to people who said they couldn't tell the difference. And I've recommended it to people who think it made a huge difference. It makes a huge difference for me. Yeah. I think it makes a huge difference. I just think lube in general, like that's just where we're at. And like, you just have to be exploring different kinds of lubes because you're just, your vagina is changing. Like, let's just be yeah. honest. And if that's the way, if that's the sex that you're participating in, um, you know, intercourse, vaginal intercourse, then, I would say try a bunch of lubes and make it fun. Try to make it fun. Like, and the other thing is like penetration is just one route road. That's true. You too. know, yes, totally there's a true. lot, you know, penetration gets uncomfortable for a lot of women and it's just like, there's a lot of other shit to do. There's a lot of other shit to do. And it don't feel like it's some kind of failure. The act is a failure. If it hasn't, if you haven't had penetration, vaginal penetration. I right. feel like that's also it because I think that like anything else, we need to shift our ideas about what is a successful sex life, just like shifting our ideas about, you know, the way we look in pictures and the way we dress and everything, because it's all fucking shifting. Yep. Yep. Um, before we go, we do have a couple of new reviews and I want to read them because, <laughs> because they're really <laughs> something else. Yeah, read the one that, that that took me to task because I think she was right. 
Well, there's two taken to tasks. There's it's it's so funny because these are five star reviews. We love you, listeners, so much, and I love engaging with things like this. There's two taken people to tasks, um, but that are also five star reviews. So these reviews are now becoming a conversation. Okay, last week's episode. This is from Cat Lady One Thirty Seven. I love this podcast, but having a hard time reconciling your claim to be quote over gossip, yet your example is that you heard a feminist had a facelift. And of course, I'll tell you who it was after we stop recording. <laughs> yes, that was a thousand percent fair. Yes. Good point. I, I, I'll be better in the future. It was very silly to talk about, to talk about being over gossip and then gossip. I also got like 50,000 texts from people being like, who was it? Who was it? That, <laughs> I didn't tell them. But. I didn't even ask. I forgot about it. I didn't even ask for like a week and a half. And then I asked and I was like, oh, all right, whatever. I know. I know. I, you know what? I, we, I, I say dumb shit sometimes on this podcast. It's I hard just to just riff on a podcast and not sound like a moron sometimes. It just happens. No, it is true. We got called uh, out because I said the word spaz and I didn't know it was a bad word. And now I do. Now I know it's an ableist slur, but I didn't know it at the time. I mean, always learning, always improving. Always learning. All right. You read this one. A case of opposites attract. And okay, on the surface, it doesn't, it really doesn't seem like I have that much in common with Kim and Jen, except that I am over 40, 51 to be exact. But somehow I keep coming back week after week to hear the perspectives and banter. My only critique is how Jen pronounces the word etc., as in etc., which she does a lot. She always pronounces the second T with a D sound and sometimes the first T with an X sound. Hi, Jen. Just a loving note that it's et cetera or et cetera. No D or X sound. Okay. I have noticed this. You say et cetera, like et cetera, like excedrin with a different end. I've totally noticed this. And it's just one of those things I've decided makes me love you more. I have such a garble mumbles mouth. I was raised by wolves. I don't know how to say anything. I used to say espresso. I used to say espresso. Like I've had to correct so many of my mispronunciations and malapropisms. I can't believe I have like a public platform where I speak words. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this, right? And then I had a ton of meetings this week and like explaining my point. And normally I would say et cetera or whatever it is. I still want to. <laughs> and I didn't say it. I was like, oh my God. I mean, this has put me into like a total spiral of how many words am I mispronouncing? I don't know. Nobody ever told me. Um, because it's kind of cute. Et cetera. <laughs> et cetera. Et cetera. Et cetera. Et cetera. Et cetera. Like et. Okay. Et. Cetera. Et cetera. Right? Isn't that what it is? Et cetera. Et, well, this this reader very very helpfully writes it out. Et cetera. <laughs> et, et cetera. Et cetera. <laughs> okay, that's enough for this week. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms. We obviously read five-star reviews no matter what they say on the, <laughs> on the show. If you want to support the show and keep the lights on in the show, 
please help us on Patreon by throwing in a couple dollars. We're at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. We throw a live event on Patreon over Zoom every month. We also blog there sometimes and occasionally put up a bonus episode. We're on social media at EIF Podcast. We have a robust and private Facebook group, Everything is Fine, where we got many of the questions from today, actually all of them. You can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. You can find me at tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. And our show is mixed and edited by the great Natalie Rivera. We'll talk next week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.